Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm super excited to welcome Saley Fakorzi, Director of Mental Health Operations at Timely MD, which is a virtual care platform for higher education. Thanks for joining us, Saley. Thank you, Grace, for the invitation. I'm I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your career path. Uh, how did you end up where you are now at Timely MD? So it's a bit interesting. Um, it is one of those things that happened. I uh, did not expect it to happen. So I'll give you a brief overview. Um, I began my career in business. So I got my undergrad degree in business and public relations and then um, worked primarily in aerospace and defense and HR. Um, coincidentally, at that time, I did work with college students a great deal. I had a couple programs under underneath my leadership that dealt with universities. So I mainly worked with engineers that were completing co-ops and internships. So very um, impressionable, but very similar to the group of students I work with now with Timely MD. So um, spent some time there, just became very passionate in the area of HR, working with people. I love the one-on-one. Fast forward, obtained my master's degree in counseling, and, um, and then from there worked a great deal in the child welfare system in the state of Texas, also worked a lot in the foster care system. And and I'll touch on that in a little bit because it all ties in. Um, And then uh, began working primarily for a little over a decade in um, emergency psychiatric uh, care for individuals that were suicidal, homicidal, Mm -hmm. psychotic, unable to function, varying levels of safety concerns. Um, And so when I was um, approached and and began to look at this option of working with Timely, it was um, it was very different because it was the first time I would be able to, in my career, kind of marry both ends. I could marry the business with the mental health and really make an impact in a group of uh, clients that I was very passionate about. So went from working in university relations and aerospace and engineering, and then um, to be able to work with um, clients that were aging out of the foster care system. So same age bracket that we that we work with at Timely MD, um, aging out of the foster care system, trying to navigate life um, as emerging adults 
and trying to decide, am I going in the workforce? Am I going to get a college degree? What am I going to do with my life? What are my next steps? So being able to participate in that education process, walk with them through some of those decision-making um, spaces as a, as a therapist was really, really impactful to me. So when I received this opportunity, I thought this would be perfect. I get to do everything I love with a population I'm passionate about um, and then work to continue to train and coach and lead and mentor um, providers themselves, other therapists. My role currently, I am the uh, direct contact for all of the mental health clinicians that work on our platform. So I oversee quality, ongoing training, organization, development, um, team building, and just building those relationships with providers as well as the universities and colleges that we serve, um, that our platform serves. So it was just a great opportunity to me. And I love the fact that I can actually say that I love what I do. I love my job. Um, it does make it a bit harder to find a cutoff point, but I, I, I do love what I do. I'm very passionate about the population we serve. That is so inspiring. I just really appreciate you sharing your story with us. And it's exciting to see this whole shift uh, in the industry to virtual care, becoming making care more accessible to folks that may have never had care before in such crisis situations. Um, what are some of the benefits you've seen to just having a virtual care platform available to, to young people uh, right now? Grace, you said it, it's the accessibility. So what we're seeing is that the more we're able to provide resources to students in a way that's meaningful to them, it makes sense to them. We are in a space where we're, my clients grew up with technology. They had an iPad in their stroller. So it is something that's very um, common for them. It's very easy to adapt to and um, it's accessible. So to be able to be a young parent, um, a single parent, um, you could be an older individual that is very busy, has a career or a busy student and student athletes. I was just talking to a student the other day. She plays softball and she's, she was like, if I didn't have Timely, I wouldn't know what to do without Timely Care because I, she's like, I have to cancel so many times because if my coach says I have to practice, then I can't take this. I can't go to my session. But if I can take a session, run into the bathroom at, in my dorm and I can have have a session there, um, I still get to take care of myself. And that's important. Um, we have so many people just across the board that when virtual care became an option, the accessibility just won over. Um, we have students that I like to talk about a lot that may not have access to any other form of support or treatment. And we conducted a survey not too long ago last year that um, actually said that there's over about 63% of students that were surveyed said if they didn't have timely care, they wouldn't have done anything to reach wow. out. And wow. we're talking to students that are suicidal every day. We're talking to people that are having high levels of distress, anxiety, depression, grief, relationship issues, and to think that they would not have reached out. That's an alarming number, 63%. I was floored. Um, it's an alarming number, but to know that just to have something that you can reach out and go to and not be concerned about the logistics, how am I gonna get there? Transportation is an issue when we're talking about the population that that we serve and then in general there's some people that just don't have the resources and a lot of times people have a smartphone 
or a laptop. Mm -hmm. And that makes all the difference. So um, I would say accessibility, number one. Um, and then once you get the accessibility, you do have access to, you know, a platform of care that comes from providers that practice evidence-based um, approaches to some of the most common issues that are among not just this population, but, you know, you know, populations in general, people in general. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like a large, well, maybe not a large percentage, but definitely a percentage of the population may have never even had regular care. I wonder, you know, when you're talking about young people and so having access to timely AMD is giving them access to care they may have never had, <laughs> regular care at least. That's mm -hmm. that's true. We find a lot of students that are coming out of high school um, and they present to their, their college guidance counselor or even the counseling office and they said, you know what, or we've talked to them on our platform and they said, you know, I've been angry and stress since the eighth grade. I've had these issues for a long time, but my parents didn't have insurance or my parents didn't believe in counseling for whatever, you know, socioeconomic reasons, cultural reasons. It just wasn't an option for me to take advantage of that. And then the students that are overwhelmed by the fact that they can use a service, they don't have to report back to their parents. They can talk about whatever they want to and finally get some level of relief from issues that they might have been suffering with before. Um, and then we have those that are freshmen, sophomores entering into campus for the first time, delayed by COVID, some of them, and they're coming equipped with a medication list and a history of a counselor. They understand what, you know, counseling modalities are. They know about mindfulness and CBT. They want to continue that, that pattern of health and get better and stay well. And we get to encourage them to do that. But if they didn't have access to it before, it's overwhelming just the amount of students that are like, oh my gosh, I can go to counseling and it's free and I don't have to tell anybody. Nobody has to be burdened by the fact that I'm going to send another bill home and I still get the help I need. It's it's impactful and, and that's what keeps us going. It's something to easily get behind and passionate about. Mm. You know, it's a constant headline, this crisis, mental health crisis our youth are facing. Why do you think there is such a crisis for this this younger generation when it comes to their mental health? And you know, what in particular works well for this generation that doesn't work necessarily as well for others or works better for this generation than others? Well, I'll say this. Um, when we talk about the mental health crisis, it's not something that's going away. So I believe it's really where we are now. It's the new normal that we need to know how to support each other. We need to know how to support this population in particular. Um, but what I will say is that what I've seen from students that, that we work with is just the level of um, they're educated, they're curious, they're um, they're ready to learn. Um, they're really in this education space of they want, they're open to change and open to what can I do to modify life, to be to be better, to live well as a whole person. Um, they definitely are bombarded by social media. 
There's many students that even um, in another survey, we talked to, to some students and they were like, you know, I'm, I'm putting myself on a social media break. I'm choosing to step away because this is too much and giving them, you know, some options of something else to do to care for themselves, giving them on demand options, giving them um, the accessibility of having a therapist at their fingertips or, or you know, on their laptop are all the things that are helping to improve, but they are worried about the same things that most people or some adults don't think they are worried about. They're worried about the world, the economy, um, wars and justice. And I was just talking to a campus counseling director um, the other day in Ohio, and she told me that she's like, Saley, our students care about what's happening in the world. They're stressed by what they see. They understand that the economy does impact them. They're concerned about their finances, the future, the unknown, because, you know, a nice mm -hmm. few years isolated in the in your house and not going to school, um, being displaced and not knowing if you're going to college or not, that that threw a lot of a lot of people into a tailspin. So um, I love the fact that our students are resilient. They're educated, they're ready, they're open for change, um, but they we're dealing with an informed population. And I think that's one of the things that I get excited the most about is because to talk to a student that knows about mindfulness techniques, they wanna decrease their internal stress level. They, um, they have boundaries and they know when they need to reinforce them. And it's, it's all the things that sometimes I think um, earlier generations may not have been able to verbalize the population we work with can <laughs> they can verbalize it they can reinforce it um they sometimes just need help having the reminders and the structure and the encouragement to to continue to be well in in ways that matter most that is so encouraging just to hear that so many are getting the help that they need and they see how important it is and are really putting in time and effort to to change things and make things better for themselves. I'm wondering, what are some of the biggest challenges for clinicians that are doing virtual care, maybe versus, you know, challenges they may have had in person? Are there different challenges from doing personal, you know, virtual care versus being in person? I will say this, I think um, with the entrance of virtual care, we're getting used to it. It's more of the new normal. So, you know, I, I meet people on Zoom every day, like, okay, great. This is the first time I met you in the way we meet people now. This is this is Zoom. So there's a very natural feel for a lot of, at least the students that we, we work with, there's a natural feel to, this is common. You know, we're playing video games. We're meeting people virtually all the time. Sometimes we see them, sometimes we don't. It does not seem strange, weird, or a hurdle for them to seek care in this space either. So it's very natural. Um, I would say for some clinicians where there's, um, I would say any level of struggle, sometimes when you come across students that are having higher levels of acuity, they are um, distressed and it's severe distress. 
may have some uh, suicidal thoughts, may have had a history of attempting, and there's varying safety issues that may be going on. There's always those um, diagnoses that might not be number one indicated for being treated via telehealth. We always have those, the extreme mm-hmm. cases of eating disorders, the ones that are mm-hmm. impacting health and well-being overall. It's a high mortality rate in that diagnosis. Um, but then if a student or a client is um, experiencing any issues related to self-harm or the possibility of wanting to harm themselves or anyone else. I believe that is a hurdle because your your clinical mind is there, but then your heart also goes out to them. Um, And so where we've spent a lot of time concentrating is how are we going to make sure that we have a plan in place for students that do present in crisis? What does it look like to support a student virtually and revamping the system, giving them every opportunity between talking, video, text message, phone calls? How do we get in touch with them, make sure that they have the opportunities that they need to reach out, to tell their story, and then for us to have the resources to support them to getting to the next space that's going to give them the help that they need. So I think it's important that we um, that we understand that there's so many different needs and the varying safety levels, I would say would be the one issue that a lot of clinicians agree on that that can be a tough space for several reasons. But um, I feel like at time we were working through a lot of those tough spaces by just providing the resources and the back-end team that helps in those cases. Mm, that's really good points, truly, really interesting. Um, you know, we hear a lot about clinic clinician frontline fatigue. Do you feel like virtual care or technology can kind of help ease some of this burden um, as well? And and what do you think could help? Um, I believe it can. Um, One of the things that I've been more concentrated on as we, um, as a company develop, you know, ways to engage in more measurement-based care and on-demand care, those, those tools that can be accessible to students at any time. So we have students that are not gonna set up a counseling session. They're not even gonna set up one of our on-demand talk now sessions. They may not even call in for a crisis. We have a peer community um, on our platform now where we found that over 50% of students, uh, slightly over 50% of students that use our peer community, which is purely just the chat space. Um, And it's for students to be able to support others to talk about absolutely anything, relationships, stress, um, just how their day is going, what's happening, how they're feeling. We have about a little over about 52 to 53% of those students never reach out for a normal regular session. Um, But we also have students there that are expressing suicidal thoughts, expressing extreme depression, wondering about medication management. Is this really where I'm going to be at for the rest of my life? How do I navigate taking a new medication and, you know, going to class? Just asking and inquiring about all the things, but they go to their peers first. Another place they go is our on-demand care. So the fact that we've created and spent some time to make sure that we have self-guided care journeys and ability to provide students with evidence-based supportive care that gives them accurate tools. So it's not the same self-diagnosis you would get from YouTube or TikTok or anything else. <laughs> or chat GBT. <laughs> but it's evidence-based, it's quality. They're connecting with, you know, uh, professionals that have 
you know, manufactured content for them, especially if they're dealing with, you know, major topics like stress, anxiety, depression, relationship issues, um, how to handle social anxiety. What does this look like? So um, giving them more access to care that is supportive, always directing them in the direction of, hey, you might need to connect with a professional. And that's usually the best bet for, for a lot of students, but then giving them options to take wellness into their own hands. What does it look like for me just to start the process of understanding what it means to be well, maybe getting a definition around some of the things that have been troubling me. So that on-demand care, peer community, peer connections um, has been by far a game changer for the way that we reach out to students. Um, so it's not only accessible, but it's something that they can they can relate to. So I have to ask, what do you predict for the future of tech when it comes to designing care delivery for upcoming generations? How is tech going to play a role in helping this generation receive care in the way they prefer to receive care? I, I believe it's just going to become more and more developed. Um, I believe there's going to be more tools for um, people to access so that they can find out more that's based, that's evidence-based, um, supportive, educational, psychoeducational information at their fingertips. I believe there's going to be more ways for people to decide, okay, let's rule out this, let's rule out that, but how do I get most comfortable connecting to somebody who can get me through the hard times? Normalizing uh, wellness, I believe, is where technology also comes in. When we normalize the idea that, you know, counseling and therapy and health coaching, um, even a psychiatry visit that can happen virtually, a medical visit that can help happen virtually. When we're able to touch on all of those, I think it's so impactful to tell a student, you know what, definitely go to counseling, but I also want you every third counseling session, pop in and see a health coach. How are we going to elongate some of the things that you're learning here um, in therapy and make sure that you're it's spreading over all areas of your life? I think technology is going to help us do that even more. So as more self-guided tools are developed, more on-demand services are developed, more platforms for people to get quality evidence-based care, um, education, psychoeducational material, I think that's going to be the real space for that. And I believe the generation that I work with, the students that we work with, they're going to be driving that. Mm, they're going to absolutely drive it. They need it more than yeah. now than ever. That's very fascinating. Now I'd love now to turn to your personal life. What are some, some things that you do to work your best and make a difference? I think we talked about it at the top, um, knowing when to take a break. Uh, so one of the top things on my agenda this weekend is taking a nap. I think it's important that as a clinician, you step away. Um, you also know when to get support. And you know what that can do for you in spaces, even when you feel like you don't need it. And I think the idea that I, I have a career that I absolutely love and I love what I do, which a lot of people aren't able to say, but I feel like even in this space, I would not do what I do if I didn't feel I had the support. I think every good therapist has a therapist. I believe every <laughs> every uh, good health coach is still learning. And I believe we're 
still learning and growing in spaces that helps us to stay encouraged. So that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing. And that kind of makes me tick. I love being able to um, go to conferences, continue to learn, engage with students, but then also know um, you know, when do I need to be around other professionals, other providers, glean more information or support? Um, and then when to step away and just recharge, take a nap, um, <laughs> go for a walk. I think, um, you know, we can, there can be an overload sometimes. There is a such thing as Zoom fatigue. So what does it look like to in the middle of the day? And I'm fortunate to work for a company that does not frown upon this. In the middle of the day, just, you know what? I think I'm going to take this next Zoom call from my phone and I'm going to take a walk hmm. um, and just to make sure that you're actually, you know, getting some fresh air, some vitamin D um, and just taking care of yourself. It's it's a lifestyle. It's not just a one time event. I think some people have gotten into self-care as being, you know, hair and nails or, you know, a trip here or there. But I think we really need to think of it as a as a as a lifestyle. And it's not just a one time event or activity. What strategies have helped you overcome challenges in your life? Good question. Um, I would say one of the biggest, uh, the most beneficial strategy for me um, when I think about it is not being afraid to ask all the questions. So in the in the space of problem solving, being open to all possibilities. We're not narrowing it down. We're asking all the questions. We're not afraid of what the answers might be, even if it's still another space where you get into another place of an unknown. Um, but nothing is off limits. So when there's something new, um, you can really dive in and open yourself up to all the possible options and the possible paths. And I think that's what we need to do to continue to stay curious, not only about our own lives and ourselves and our brains, but each other. And that's been one of the number one tools that I've used in, in all situations, uh, career-wise, education, just remain open. Do you have any advice for women in healthcare, health IT, um, just any advice that you'd like to give them, particularly in the mental health space even too? I would say the advice that I would give stems a little bit from my own experience. So um, I'll, I'll just say that I feel like we get to places in life. Um, I believe everything happens for a reason. So we get to places in life that um, we are either intentional about or we accidentally stumble into these places. But I feel like the more we get in tune with the things that bring us joy, the things that make us feel most like ourselves, the things that make us feel most relaxed, the things that genuinely charge you up um, and make you feel happy or proud of what you do. Those are the areas that you need to focus on. Um, and I like to think of it almost like the self-care in a self-care space. So if you if a shower is relaxing and lighting candles is relaxing, do it both. Do, do them both at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so light candles when you take a shower or, or a relaxing bath. So I believe the career should be the same way. Uh, when you're looking at your career, take those things that you enjoy, some pleasures that you that you feel like you can't live without and try to marry the two and see what happens. And the opportunity may not exist. You may have to create it. Don't be afraid. Ask all the questions. 
discover and explore all the possibilities and see what can happen. But focus on that space of peace, joy, enjoyment. And how do we marry that? Definitely with making some money. But how do we marry the two together to get that ultimate um, idea? And you might just have to create it. That is so true. So true. And I know all of us are going to take that knowledge with us and move forward in light and joy and, and just choosing the things that help us do work our best in our areas of influence. To finish this conversation off right, where can our listeners find you online? Um, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, so I do have a LinkedIn account and it's just my name, Saley Fakorzi. Um, there's a lot of timely MD stuff. So you'll definitely see me uh, posting and uh, chatting and responding to a lot of stuff related. We have a ton of partners that um, that I'm also connected with on, on LinkedIn. So it's a, it's a place that I usually land several times a week. We have a huge base. So now that we serve over 250 schools, 1.5 million students awesome. um, keeps us busy but that's that's usually where I land and I get a lot of I see a lot of connections there which is which is really great that's terrific now before I forget did you happen to bring tea with you today I surely did I did ah, tell us about your mug do you have a personal story yeah. around it I do actually. So, and it, and it goes along with what we've been talking about, like, how do we take a break and how do we relax? Um, so in this position, I've been, I travel a little bit. So we go to different campuses. Uh, next week, I'll be going to another campus and traveling. Sometimes you get out of the routine of what you would have if you're at home. Mm -hmm. So it feels a little foreign and you're like, oh, you know, I can't wait to get back home. But what I've started to do is I've started to kind of recreate home at a hotel and anywhere that I go. But uh, the mug that I got is uh, the one that I travel with a lot of times. It it has a nice seal on it. It's very durable. Um, it's clear. So I get, I still feel the, I, I get the aroma of tea. It feels warm. So it gives me all the feels of tea in a cozy place at home. But just being able to recreate that in any space that I'm in gives me that bit of, okay, I can relax. This this is my time. I can still have tea in the morning, sometimes at night, and um, and enjoy it just as if I were I were at home. So I can make any place home, and it's uh, it's something special to me. So I'm glad you asked because it took me a minute to find one that I really liked. I went through a couple, and you know, also had the electric kettle that I take with me sometimes when I'm traveling. So just all the conveniences. I think it makes a difference. Well, that's too good. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and I hope to have you back again. Well, thank you, Grace. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the time. And thanks to you guys too. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests like Saley today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you.